You're listening to Washington Post Live's weekly conversation series with cultural pioneers and changemakers on race in America. Hello and welcome to Washington Post Live. I'm Bina Venkatraman and I'm a columnist at The Post. Today in our Race in America series, it's a pleasure to welcome Porna Jagannathan. She stars in the Netflix hit series, Never Have I Ever. Welcome to Washington Post Live, Porna. Thank you, Bina Venkatraman, for saying my name perfectly. <laughs> There's a reason for that, I think. It's, uh, we share some background here. We have the same <laughs> amount of letters in our name. <laughs> that too, right? Uh, the pain of spelling one's name over and over. Uh, maybe, we'll, maybe we'll get to that. Uh, so the fourth and final season of this really incredible and worldwide popular series is about to come out. And I'm just wondering how you're feeling at this moment, a couple days before it releases. Oh, you know, we we went through the we went through filming and all that, and it's only now during the last couple of days that it's sinking in. We've had to revisit a lot of conversations on how the show's given everyone a sense of belonging, um, our own growth during the four seasons, our own sense of community that's come from this, our own sense of identity that's come from this, and it's just hitting me now that it's over. The ride is over. What what? Shows like Never Have I Ever do is just create so much more space for people like us and stories for people like us to exist. And it has been a tremendous privilege to be part of it. Well, we'll get to the end of the ride maybe a little bit later again, but I want to start with uh, how the ride started for you. So um, this role is a mother, an immigrant mother of a teenage girl, high school girl, and uh, it's sort of labeled in the genre of young adults. And you talked about how you didn't want to be a, quote, Disney mom. You told Vanity Fair that you didn't want to be a Disney mom. And so I'm wondering, when you read the script, when you talked to the co-creators, Mindy Kaling and Lang Fisher, what actually convinced you that you wanted to take this role of Nalini, uh, the mother? Well, I mean, I wanted to be part of the sense of humor that, you know, Mindy and the Mindyverse has a very particular tone to it. And I always wanted to be a part of it. I find Mindy's reverend tone absolutely hilarious. Um, the way that the whole YA thing worked out is that during the last few days when we were down to negotiating, uh, I kept seeing Netflix, what I thought was Yeah. And I just thought it was their logo that they had added in. Like, you know, Nike just knew it. It was Netflix Yeah or something. I had no I didn't know what the white category was. I was so, so, so stupid. Um, and so I asked my manager, like, what is YA? And he's like, it's YA. And suddenly the it was like a deflated balloon because, you know, I started acting so late in life uh, when I was 35. And I had such a yearning, such a calling. I'm an immigrant mom. And when I saw depictions of immigrant moms, especially South Asian immigrant moms, they were just the punchline. And they were never the plot line. Uh, there was no dimension to them. Um, you know, uh, not only in my life as an immigrant, but in my mom's and my aunt's, there's so much joy, grief, longing for home, conflict, sexuality, womanhood, navigation that has to be done. And all the other portrayals just lacked all of it. We were just foils to our kids, right, in all these other portrayals. So... Um, I didn't want I didn't want that for myself. I didn't want to show up for myself like that, and I didn't want to show up for my community like that. So I had a very pivotal conversation with them, saying, "I love you guys. I'm dying to work with you guys. I'm dying to be part of this project. However, I cannot show up at this point in my life as a Disney mother." 
and they and by that I don't mean to just Disney, just more like you know, just just more of that that, that foil that shows up so often. And they assured me that they don't even know how to write like that, and it's very much within their tone. And it's true, this is Netflix's edgiest YA comedy. And it sounds like uh, that sounds like a very collaborative approach. And from what the word on the street is, is that you've also had some input and in details on the set and details about the characters that have made it more authentic. And I just have to say that I personally have appreciated so many of the very specific cultural touchstones. The, the fact that you call, um, you know, that Dalani calls uh, baby kanna, which is what my parents called me, a term of endearment in our culture. Uh, the yeah. fact that you eat with your hands at the table. Uh, can you say more about um, your role in making those cultural touchstones so specific? I mean, I have to say this is a very powerful female-led set. And I have noticed that on female-led set, it's a much more collaborative process than not. And um, look, writing on Never Have I Ever is so tight, so funny, so light on its feet. But the writing allows so much space to bring yourself to the script for, for, for every character. Um, they, from day one, just gave all of us actors complete ownership. And we really always set the tone. We always collaborated. We always, uh, I, I would bring props from home uh, at least once a week. Like, you know, there's, it's. The, the thing that I love is that there's no translation, there's no footnotes. Like you just do the action or you say the words and no one is translating for you. Um, so even in season four, I'm allowed to talk about this, but there's, you know, Nalni wears a, um, a Kali or it's a Mangal Sutra that she wore when she got married. It's like the equivalent of a wedding ring, a South Indian wedding ring. But, you know, my mother, when my dad passed, would just hold on to that Kali and wear it. She wore it for three years after he had passed. And, I was always clocking what she was doing with it. And and one day I went and visited her and, and, and it was off. And so we had that conversation and I wanted that journey to mirror my mother's journey with season four. We talked about it a lot when it's the right moment uh, symbolically to take it off. You know, everything from the script to you know what I wear is so deeply collaborative. Uh, we source all the clothes from designers from India who are all my friends and who I've grown up with. And um, the costume designer, Glenda, as far as so committed to having not only an authentic representation, but modern representation of what an immigrant woman looks like. So um, everything, everything I, can, I can go scene by scene by scene and show you everything that um, either I brought in or we talked about before every meal. The, the props person would ask me what I want to eat and I'd share recipes and we know it, it, it was the most collaborative experience and it is because they trusted us to bring the characters to life and they trusted us to bring our full selves, which is all our heritage, all our knowledge, all our wisdom, all our experiences that we didn't even know we had. You know, there was a scene where we're all praying and all, all of us knew the, the slokas or the, the mantras or the prayers that we all just grew up with. And I didn't even realize I knew all the words to it until we were on set. That's beautiful and sounds kind of rare in Hollywood uh, from what I know. Uh, and I'm curious um, for you and your character, uh, were there any moments where you felt like something was just off in the process of, of delivering your lines and you had to kind of pivot into something that felt more authentic?
I don't remember one instance. And and if it was, we'd fix it before I uh, shot. Again, the 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 door was always open. And 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 I say I don't remember. There must have been a lot of instances actually, but it never was a problem. It's like, oh, this doesn't work. Can I start? Can I try something new? So we'd we'd get it as scripted, and then we'd get it as an improv. So. Um, so the answer was, of course, it probably happened on every every single scene, every day. It was just never an issue. So it just feels like the answer to that is actually no. Just it just felt part of the collaborative process. Well, I want to give. The- I know. I know. Hold on. My first day on set, uh, my three my three uh, babies started shooting a couple of days before I did. And she had already shot a scene in the house. She goes up the stairs and I came in later and I noticed she was wearing shoes in the house. And I said, oh no, this is a shoe free household. And so they justified that, you know, she'd come into the house and mom wasn't there. So she felt okay to to whatever. But from that day onwards, we were a shoe free household. Makes sense. I can't imagine an Indian immigrant family where where, where their shoes are the common norm. So I want to play for the audience today a short preview clip from the fourth season, a scene of of you and uh, your fellow actors. And so I hope the team can cue that up. Well, tonight was certainly a strange one. And the running theme seemed to be that you two, however misguided, were trying to look out for us. Devi, you don't have to worry about me. I am going to be just fine when you leave. But... Sometimes when I see you eating a lean cuisine alone, I get sad. Well, don't be. Microwave fettuccine Alfredo brings me nothing but joy. And you know what else brings me joy? That you're okay with me dating. Because you don't want to die without hitting it again? No. We were just trapped in that dark place for so long, and this all made me realize that we're coming out of it. So I have to just appreciate it, that this is a really funny script, uh, that the writing on the show is funny and the delivery is funny too. Uh, and of course, it's about a teenager seeking romance, uh, having sex, exploring the sort of world of boys, a teenage girl. But at a deeper level, this is also very much a story of a mother and a daughter grieving the loss of a husband and a father. And it's a very moving story of grief. and. Your character, as we see in this in this little preview of the fourth season, kind of having a different experience um, than what we saw when we first met her. Uh, she's sort of very deep in her grief, and she goes through a number of transformations. Um, you know, learning, you know, dating herself, opening up to her daughter, dating, making a friend, uh, sort of becoming uh, more open to new experiences that follow the death of her husband. I'm curious for you, uh, did you have to draw on any personal experiences of grief to sort of create and play this character so authentically? I have I have one skill as an actor, and that is I can pick the script. I, I know when the script's going to work. And, and the trick is to pick a script that will have the emotions for you. So you don't have to come into the script with with anything. You just have to say the words, and it whatever's happening, the circumstances will just show up, right? And so, um, of course, you know, I lost my father, and the and the, and the kind of the beautiful last the, the the scene where you're throwing ashes at the end of season one is, you know, I never got to do that 
for my dad and it was kind of very, very cathartic and beautiful. But, you know, there, um, we shoot a scene about 40 times, right? It's my, it's my, it's my camera. It's their camera. It's a group camera. It's the, from about like, it's a lot. And I know with this particular script, especially with the more emotionally charged scenes, I can stay in a place, a very particular emotional place because the writing allows me to, uh, it just allows me to uh, be vulnerable and, um, to stay with the character's grief like it was my own in a very natural, organic, and authentic way. But that can only happen with uh, good writing. I, I have done scripts where, you know, I'm like, my kid is drowning, and but it's badly written, and I just don't have any emotion at all. Um, but it's, 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 it is the writing. And I will say the writing comes from a very intensely personal place. Uh, both Mindy and Lang have lost parents, and so have many of the writers in the writers' room. And they, this is this is a love letter to their parents. The, the show, it's kind of just fierce family love and stuff that they perhaps never got to say to their parents. Stuff that they wish they had said. It's it it has all of the unsaid in the script, and I think that's why. This show, more than any other, just feels like it's watched by parents and their kids together. I, I mean, I have a kid, and we don't watch any other show uh, except this one together. I, you're making me wish I've watched the show with my parents. I, I haven't done that yet. Uh, but it does just have so many details about the dynamics and sort of the, the unsaid, the repressed emotions that happen, the sort of ways in which we try to earn respect. Yeah. It's such a deep and beautiful and honest, like just that scene you saw, it's such a great anatomy of grief because in grief, you talk about healing and you let go and you talk about, you know, moving on and moving forward. But the truth is one day when you're in grief, you wake up and the grief has left you. You're, you haven't let go of it, you know? So, you know, that, that scene is just Melanie's kind of realization that, God, we're not reacting to things in the same way. We're not, we're not doing the stuff that we used to do because this darkness seems to have lifted. And so it's, it's a really, it's one of, for me, one of the most gorgeous depictions of, of grief on television. So what else can we expect from your character in this fourth and final season? Where, where's this arc taking us in her transformation? I wonder what I can tell you. There's some very, there's a very hot man that, I don't know if I can tell you. <laughs> <laughs> I really, I really want to hear about the hot man now. Very hot man. <laughs> Only has impeccable taste in clothes and clearly men. I am so. I was going to say hotter than Common because you were you were with Common at one point in this series. And... Enough. That was very hot. Um, <laughs> yes. Melanie, you know, I, I think when the show ends, everyone is exactly where they need to be, which is very hard for a last episode to pull off because there's so many storylines. But there is such a feeling like it's a graduation for every character uh, on the show. It feels like they're moving on to the next thing and it's exciting and there's, it's hopeful and it's loving and it's optimistic. And um, instead of feeling so sad for the show to end, you have like a feeling like they're on to something bigger, better, amazing because they've healed so much. So you've talked a lot about the writing and you've given a lot of credit to the writers here. And one thing I noticed in watching this series is that season by season, the number of South Asian characters seems to grow. 
And I'm wondering if that was intentional uh, with respect to this show and what your own reflections are on having multiple characters of South Asian descent and how that affects representation. There was one time when we were shooting uh, season one, I guess. It was the Ganesh festival, the Ganesh Puja. And, you know, we'd been shooting and we were, we knew that was a very special show, very special experience, but we were suddenly on set and there was just a sea of brown people in front of me. And there are all these actors I had, you know, kind of done my career with. And it was so unbelievable that there were all these people dressed in saris and kurtas. We were all on the universal lot like that. You know, that kept happening every season. We were we were celebrating Gulu and celebrating, you know, there's a wedding and every this is what Hollywood looks like all of a sudden. And, you know, to be to be a small part of a show that can do that is extraordinary. Um, I I can't describe it, what it means to be. So every time we get a new script and there's a new character added. A lot of times it's not specified what race, uh, unless it's South Asian. But uh, the funny thing is that you're like, they, they must, like, it's time to get a Caucasian actor on set. Like, I'm sure the networks is, you know, no, it's always an actor of color. This is so, such a radically diverse show. It's people with different sexualities. We're talking about mental health. We're talking about, you know, all these topics that are, are not shown on any forget YA. It's just it's not covered anywhere. But um, you know, you you I grew up on on sets where I was the only Indian. I was the only not only Indian, but I was filling a person of color quota somehow. I was the only person of color on so many sets, and um, it is funny because you. Oh, I always felt like a guest on set. I never felt like I belonged. I felt like it was some stroke of luck, luck or diversity quote. I, I always second guess myself, but something to be on a set that is so, so diverse and has opened the conversation in a real way about diversity. Um, extraordinarily lucky to be part of it and to have experienced it. We have a question from an audience member that relates to this. Uh, so Piper Hendricks of Washington, D.C. asks, I deeply appreciate your focus on the impact of the stories we tell. Would you share examples of how on-screen representation changes how the audience interacts with people off-screen? This is not directly answering your question, but um, I had a very moving interaction with, I was in India maybe a month ago, and. Um, this young woman came up to me, uh, she's trans, she's Indian, she's trans, and she thanked me for the show, but she also thanked me for mothering her, especially during the times when her own mother couldn't show up for her. Um, there are such few, how do I best say this? A depiction of family on TV like ours is actually so important because everyone will find no matter who they are and what race they are what sexuality they are they will find a place within our family and therefore they will find a place within our storylines and our our particular storyline is really like coming of age and healing and being more intimate having more intimate uh, relationship with your parents and more real relationships um Nalini feels so seen by her daughter, Baby, as babies feel seen by Nalini at the end of it. 
place that we never thought they could go to uh, when the when the show began. And so when people see that, they they find themselves being mothered and fathered and sistered and siblinged by all of us. And that means something. They carry it out. I also think, I mean, especially for my character, how they see immigrant Indian women, I, I feel the show is really changing that, how they understand South Asian culture. I think the show has completely shifted that. I think it, um, I think it helps you understand. I mean, there was such a conversation on, there's such an anti-immigration conversation. The show came out during just that time. I feel like it really fostered um, understanding what is known as the other. Um, through the show. I, I really feel like it just put a face to a, an, an immigrant experience that people could relate to. It's such a specific story, and yet it feels so universal and so relatable. Did I answer your question? Yeah, uh, yes, yeah. I think you did. And I think pulling that off without just stereotyping a character is quite a complicated endeavor. You know, just thinking of it as a writer myself, you know, I remember the scene where your character, uh, you know, she's terrified, absolutely mortally terrified of the moped, like the Vespa, I think. And, but then we see her kind of go through a transformation where she drives the Vespa, she decides to drive the Vespa. So her, we don't just see her stay in the place of someone who is fearful. We see her sort of like embody courage or change or embody and embrace something different. Uh, So you talked a lot about the importance of the diversity of the writer's room, but also sort of the inclusive mindset of the the writer's room where they're thinking about these different kinds of characters. And I'd be remiss if I didn't ask you, you know, here we are entering the sixth week of the Writers Guild strike. Uh, Hollywood is obviously not as diverse as it could be or or even should be uh, ultimately. And uh, do you worry about the status of writers of color, of writers who will write these kinds of characters, uh, given what's happening in the industry right now? I think what is happening in the industry is really for all of us, I would say women writers of color are paid the least and have the least leverage, have the least power and therefore the least leverage. And I think this is gonna rise the boats for everybody. Let's hope so. And what about the role of the streaming platforms? So Netflix, you know, in making this series, and I can think of some other series, Sex Education, uh, where they have very diverse casts, and those shows do really well for Netflix, these shows with diverse casts. Uh, What do you think the role is of the streaming platforms, of Netflix, but also others, in sort of leaning out and taking on these shows? Uh, Is it still a high-risk thing to do? Is it just the right thing to do? How should they be thinking about this? I mean, I really am one of the happiest employees of, of Netflix. I, I just feel like they take such risks and they take risks on such diverse shows and diverse uh, storylines. And I gotta say, I, 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 I'm kind of trying to word this, but I feel like the relationship between Netflix and its audience is a little porous. like. When network TV happened, I felt like they, the bunch of executives just making a decision on like, oh, we want another comedy to fill in this slot, but we should look like this comedy and let's put it out there. But I feel like Netflix is really in tune with its audiences and they have a global audience, so they really have to listen. But I feel like viewers are demanding to see themselves. They've had it with what is being reflected to them, which is not them. They want to see themselves. And I feel like places like streaming platforms like Netflix 
are able to meet them where they need to be. And it is my firm belief, shows like Never Have I Ever, not only reflect who we are, but also give us a path for who we can be. For so something as simple as a, a non-acrimonious mother-in-law, daughter-in-law relationship has never been portrayed on TV and definitely not part of the kind of what you a South Asian narrative, they're, they're always at odds, right? So the fact that we are, the mother-in-law stands up for me and is an ally is a new way of being. And um, I feel like Netflix just has the space and the vision and the risk-taking ability to, to tell this. And I think Never Have I Ever actually has allowed a lot of stories that are nuanced and of color to be greenlit. So I like this idea of Hollywood and the entertainment industry taking on the mantle of uh, showing us utopic ideals, uh, showing us imaginary futures that ought to be the kinds of futures that we aspire to having in society. I think that's a really noble and interesting idea. I, I wanna ask you a more personal question, which is that I've heard that you are sort of approaching your own empty nest, even as that's happening on the show. And I wanna know how you're feeling about that. and how it maybe relates to your experience of portraying Melanie on the show. People keep asking me, is it like never have I ever? Like it's a combination of a show I did called The Night Of and probably Euphoria. Like I wish I was having a never have I ever experience. Um, it, it is so funny because he's at that age that, that Davey was and my reactions are so different from Melanie's, you know, Melanie always has an emotion ready. Like she's always, she can be angry in, in an instant or she can have words that come out of her mouth. I am left absolutely speechless at what my, what my son does constantly. I'm like, how? Um, it, the show really prepared me. I mean, I didn't go to college here. So this whole like college, you know, I, I actually don't know. No one had a plan until I did Never Have I Ever and learned about some stuff. And so it's really helping us uh, get him ready and have, have those conversations. Um, but you know what I've learned from the show, I will tell you more than anything else, is I have understood how to be um, the role of mothering. Um, it's not what I thought it was. I, I've learned from the show that the role of a mother, the role of a parent, the only role, the only thing that things that, that children are looking for is a sense of belonging uh, from your parents. Like your kids need to know that they belong to you. They may not belong in different spaces in the outside world, especially when they're teenagers. It's, it's so hostile, but you need to always let them know that they belong to you. So I have stopped putting all sorts of pressure or have these conversations about what his future should be or look like or whatever and just have been focusing on just giving him an intense sense of belonging. And I completely learned that from the show. That's beautiful. So this has been your longest running role in, on TV. Yeah. And uh, I'm just curious, what's next for you? Where can we expect to see you? Well, I'm on a movie called The Outlaws uh, on Netflix, and I play um, a, a mafia leader. Um, and I, I just, I, I, I'm just trigger happy. I, absolutely ridiculous and funny with Adam Devine and Pierce Brosnan. Um, and that releases soon. And then I go on to play yet another gangster on a, um, on a series on Disney called uh, Delhi Boys. And uh, they were running a bunch of delis. And then it turns out we're just doing like a, they're running a cocaine business. Um, so those are my two amazing gangster themed projects. 
somehow from immigrant mom to gangster makes perfect sense to me. I don't know why, but it, it, it seems to make sense. Thank I you so much. After, after running a household full of Indian women, the only logical thing I can do is run a mafia den, for sure. It's you've got all the strategy in place, right? Dealing with the tough personalities. In fact, uh, you know, maybe they're easier on the drug dealing end. Dealing with the um, constant sabotage. Yes, totally. Well, thank you so much. We're out of time, but uh, Purna Jagannathan, it's been such a pleasure. It's going to be a delight to watch you in the fourth and final season of this really seminal series, Never Have I Ever, and to see you in the films you mentioned uh, coming up next. Thanks for listening. To always stay up to date with the series, subscribe to Washington Post Live's Race in America, an Apple Podcasts, or wherever you listen.